0: This is a special podcast of Uncommon Sense. The interview you're about to hear is with Barry Dickens, an Australian author and playwright who's written a new book called Last Words. This book is about Ronald Ryan and uh, Ronald Ryan is the last man to be hanged in Australia. That occurred 50 years ago last week and Barry spoke to me about his book and about the person Ronald Ryan, who he really was and the people who met him and uh, interacted with him in various stages of his life. I hope you enjoy this discussion as much as I did. I'm really pleased to be able to um, have... A hopefully will be an in-depth discussion now with Barry Dickens. He's a playwright and author um, and many other things, but just a, a seriously talented Australian writer. Uh, thank you so much, Barry, for joining us.
1: It's my delight to be here.
0: Um, So, Barry, you've written a book which has just been released, I believe, last week, um, and this is a specific reason for that release date because uh, the book is about Ronald Ryan. He's the last man to be hanged in Australia and it was really a very um, public and tumultuous period and event uh, for many reasons but uh, it comes up to the 50th anniversary uh, which happened last week and it still really is just as contested and as heated now when we sometimes discuss this issue of of Ronald Ryan and, and what he did to deserve um, being hanged and whether he actually did anything at all to, to deserve it. Um, so first of all your book is it's non-fiction but it has um, a very Fiction, fictional way of describing and um, talking and communicating this character Ronald Ryan and the various people that he meets and um, falls in love with and he has children um, and the people that he, the one person he escapes with in prison. I want to Bring it to back to your description of um, Ronald Ryan and who he is as was as a person, the type of human he was, because yeah. um, it really is fascinating to read your description of him. He seems seemingly quite contradictory. On the one hand, um, you write of him as being pious and reliable and his mother said of him before he was hanged that he was a good boy. Um, But then, you know, he had this other really dynamic um, and infectious side. He was really charismatic and hilariously funny, as you describe. And these are anecdotes based on true stories of, you know, people who've met Ronald Ryan Um, and that... When he looked at something, he thought it was his for the taking. So can you explain to me and just draw out a little bit mm. of this seemingly contradictory personality?
1: Well, I think that the child in Ryan was the greater proportion. Uh, he was childlike as opposed to childish. And, um, and yet at the same time there was a sort of a guile or a world weariness at war with that with that cherubic quality. And the people that I've met who were quite young when they met him said that there was one guy I met who'd been drinking with Ryan at the Kent Hotel in the Trobe Street in the late 50s, and Ryan was generous, munificent, the old word munificent, and buying him schooners, pots, called in Melbourne, icy cold ones, full strength, giving him smokes without end. This, And the guy told me, he, he was a student at Melbourne Tech when he met Ronald Ryan at the Kent Hotel, Uh, i met hundreds of people who have known him or have lied that they've known him, which is just as interesting. And um, he he said, I've never in my life cried as much with laughter as this guy Ronald Ron. Just the way he sat on the stool at the bar made me laugh. He could make me laugh by dangling his sock at me because he'd kicked his shoe off or something. <laughs> and Chaplin once said that you make people laugh with your feet, and that's true, I think, it, it, through pantomime. But the guy said he was ill with laughter after a few schooners with Ronald Ryan or pots, as they called in Victoria, when they got out of La Trobe Street, He was like a brother, like a brother in Christ or something. And then he patted his kick, and the word kick used to be your pocket in the 50s. Your right. kick—that's where you kept your wallet in your pocket. Yeah. And of course, there was no sign of his wallet. <laughs> and so the whole time, he, he said that he was ill with laughter, not just with Ryan's verbosity and, and nonchalant humour, but he was pulling faces. Uh, he was a clown. And then, uh, you know, and there was a, he was at war with himself, the, the comic side and the sort of uh, opportunistic side. He was 31 before he broke the law, which is old before you go to jail, and... That was all misdemeanours and stealing cigarette trucks and cigarettes. He's very fond of Craven A, eh, the cigarette. He used to <laughs> sell them around the pubs. When I met Father Brosnan, who was the Roman Catholic priest at Pentridge, I mean, what a congregation to have you know, 2,000 murderers as your flock. And uh, he said that Ryan was a pub data. And the word data was a 40s and 50s word for someone who was opportunistic and trick you and dupe you you yep. were duped, you know, but it was worth the fun. So people who didn't trust him liked him because he was the fun. He had the life, and had uh, the showman part of his, uh, you know, personality. It's like he's a th- theatrical someone, amusing.
0: And obviously that's part of what attracted Dorothy Mm. to Ronald Ryan. She She's a very interesting character in herself because she came from a very well-off background. Yeah,
1: the exact opposite.
0: Yeah, and And Ronald, it seems, had a very difficult upbringing in terms of the poverty he came from but also the alcoholism Mm. um, that he was surrounded by. And I really um, just was... Taken aback by this really intense description of the rooming house that he was right. living in in West it's, Footscray, yeah, it's
1: still there as I've said in the book.
0: Yeah, oh gosh, I'd be really scared to <laughs> see what it looks like now, based on what you've described. It's opposite
1: the Botanical Gardens at Footscray,
0: right? And
1: it was, um, it's called Room Suit Gent.
0: Room Suit Gent. I mean, what that, that old name. wording is yeah. still
1: there, and and he he toiled as a. In those days, in the 50s, when he met Dorothy, he was a a moulder at a tyre factory called Olympic Tires. And there were tyres then called retreads. Old, worn out tyres were stamped, the tread was stamped into them again Mm. about 10 years ago since that went out. But he was a moulder, called a moulder, stamping. Imagine being covered in tyre blacking and dust and stuff. And he had a, the only thing he'd ever paid for was an iron framed push bike with an extended saddle on it made of iron, can you imagine? And then one hot night he cycled off to uh, the Jolly Roger Ferry, which was moored at Flinders Street where where the water was and the bridge, Princess Bridge. And in the late 40s they had the Jolly Roger and other ferries that you danced on and they had Glenn Miller music playing. And he was a great dancer, according to Dorothy, who I interviewed at Port Macquarie when she lived there. And, uh, And they jitterbugged. (laughs) So you've got a hanged man jitterbugging. Yeah. And I wanted to show all the qualities and the accidental moments. And so I said, what did you think when you saw Ronald, Dorothy? She lived at a caravan park at Port Macquarie. And it took a year before I got her permission to talk because it hurt so much to talk about him. She said he was just so funny and beautifully. uh, He could quote... It was a great reciter of poetry. So you can be recited at where it's just boring mm. or it can be done in such a way that you've written the poem that you're saying or reciting. And he was an intellectual and a great jitterbugger.
0: That is just a beautiful <laughs> portrait of a man and the whole book is really the portrait of the man yeah. and the people that see him through various ways uh, when they come across They're him. They're
1: endless, the ways to see him. And yeah. he loved his hair. And he loved Mm. having glossy black, I suppose you could call it Catholic hair, but he loved that. And just just before he was hanged, he asked the governor, Ian Grindley, whether it would be all right to comb his hair to look good for his mother when he went through. And that wasn't permitted. And so he used a bit of spit to put it on his black hair, but he wanted to look as good as he could. Before they put the hood over him, so
0: and his tortoise shell. I think you said comb in the book. Tortoise,
1: tortoise shell comb.
0: Yeah, his most prized possession in prison, apart well, from the Bible, which he also. Yeah,
1: well, uh, good luck for me. I've always been lucky, and um, I knew and was friends with the Catholic. I mean, not the Catholic, but the Salvation Army woman who lent Ryan uh, her edition of the Catholic Bible, and she used to go to the Albion Hotel in Carlton in the sixties and seventies with her wooden box to collect change for the needy and she'd push it into the pot stomachs of all the male drunks on a sweltering hot night and she'd say, going by your gut, you've got enough beer in there and enough money. How about <laughs> a bit of change for the needy? And she'd push the plywood money collection box into their bloated stomachs and they'd feel guilty and drop a few bob into the slot. Well she it was who gave Ryan the Catholic Bible? Yeah. And uh, she talked to me about that and how he... Learned it. He learnt the Bible. When he knew he'd be hanged, he went back to being a Catholic. And he asked Father Brosnan, who's one of the most charismatic people you'd ever want to meet, what's involved, he said, Ryan, in, in it's coming on tomorrow, the hanging, what's involved, is it a complicated thing because I was married Church of England and to please my mother I'm going back to be a Pat. And Pat was the nickname, the euphemism for Catholic. And as typical of John Brosnan, he said, it's no more uh, complicated, Ryan, than re-registering a car (laughs) (laughs) to make him smile, you know. And uh, when he shook hands with Father Brosnan, Father Brosnan said, Ronald Ryan. And Ryan said, Spencer Tracy. Because (laughs) he looked like Spencer Tracy who'd played so many Catholic priests. So I wanted to keep that playfulness... Yeah. At counterpoint to the doom. It's a book of doom. And the doom is to do with eight o'clock on the third of Feb, that nothing will stay the execution. And the poor things on the hill, all the ones protesting mm. and the five churches around around Pentridge gonged all the bells all morning and broke those somber bells protesting against the execution. Because we're at Pentridge which now apartments bizarrely enough, is uh, five different churches of all different denominations. All those bells were gonging for him.
0: Yeah, and it really seemed to stop the city, uh, or at least the state. And uh, I did read that the ABC radio station went off air or went silent for two minutes when he was hanged as well.
1: There was a live broadcast from 3AW, Macquarie, which goes right around the country, and I'm friends with Brian Morley who did the stand-up and he, Brian told me that when the 12 reporters were watching the execution, which took place 60 feet above their heads on a bizarre sort of platform, he said that Brian, before they popped the poplin hood over his head, he winked at him. He winked at Brian. Brian said, oh, that wink's been with me for 50 years.
0: Mm. It's really the last thing that he did as he a human. He winked just
1: before the hood, the poplin hood. Yep. And then the hangman ran at him, ran at him, with welder's goggles over his eyes and a bizarre tan colored like a strange cap with a with a pom pom on it yeah. to disguise himself and was rough with Ronald and shoved him towards the trapdoor and Ryan was off balance, and he said, "For God's sake, make it quick yeah and that's they're the last words you know and then the the reporters down below had to be, uh, weren't allowed to uh, tape anything or record anything, just stand there with invitation cards in their grasp. RSVP invitation cards, I've seen them.
0: Mm.
1: As if you're going to a debutante's ball.
0: Yeah, they seemed really formal and quite large, white. Glossy. yeah. As if, as
1: if you're going to a ball. I mean, everything about the story is an opera. Yep. And having written it in every which way, I think I'll pay a call to the opera company and see if they want it. And it is an opera.
0: I hope so because yeah. it really is. And let's take it back now to yeah. what he apparently did. So we know that he escaped from yeah. Pentridge um, with a man who he actually didn't know the, the right. name of.
1: Well, only a, a lapsed Catholic would escape with a guy he didn't know. Yeah. I mean, there's the opera truth. He escaped with a guy called Peter Walker because he was so huge and Ronald was going to get out with this other guy. We should tell your listeners and your fans that they were both in for 17 years and uh, Ryan had uh, robbed a warehouse armed with a rifle. If he hadn't have had a rifle, Mm. it would have been 18 months.
0: Right. But
1: because he was armed. But he
0: didn't use the rifle. He
1: didn't use it, but because he held a rifle, that's armed robbery. And he got 17 years... At hard labour, and at hard labour means that you are pulverising bluestone boulders with a great big iron-tipped hammer. And Ryan was so naive he thought that um, that that would do the community some good. That the bluestone chips would be used in gutters and things like that. But when one of the officers said, "No, there is no point to the, there's no point to this. Mm. It's to break you, not the boulders." That's when he decided to get out with Peter Walker. They they got out in the most eccentric fashion and then they were interrupted by a prison officer named George Hodson, who was enormous and drunk and there was a Christmas party going on.
0: Because this was December the 19th, 1965. Yeah,
1: and a heat wave. The the book covers the heat of Melbourne. Mm. During the escape (laughs) and during the trial and during the hanging, Melbourne had never been hotter. So I've tried to write... The literature of the book is to do with extreme doom and heat simultaneously rising
0: yep.
1: to its Christianity. And you
0: were saying that the tar on, on the... The tar Yeah, yeah. And
1: that when George fell, the two officers shot him from the tower because he's standing so close to Ronald that he uh, he couldn't get a clean shot. Either of them, uh, those, those guards in the end committed suicide, in the sure knowledge they'd shot George...
0: And, and that's uh, that's part of the contested, I guess, history of this story yeah. is that, um, in the court case that eventuated, that people, um, you know, there's various theories as to who shot uh, George Hodson, right. yeah. and uh, and. Your theory, which many others would subscribe to, um, suggests that the bullet trajectory needed yeah. to come from above because um, it was at an angle yeah. and also from further away because right. Ryan was at point-blank range, basically.
1: I'd like to know who's got the bullets and where, where police homicide have put those bullets. I mean, there were three of them and Ryan Ryan's rifle didn't work and it didn't make smoke. Mm. And yet would- the jury were bullied into agreeing that you know, the witnesses I mean, that they saw smoke come out of the breach. But the American made carbine didn't make smoke. There's a whole lot of reasons that he couldn't or wouldn't fire the fire the fire the rifle yeah. at George. He knew him well and and they were friends. So uh, none of the public could guess that w- Hudson uh, was friendly with Ryan.
0: Mm. And I think, I believe they used to play, was it chess together? Yeah,
1: checkers and draughts. And, and, yep. and George had a lot to drink, homemade hooch, and he was laughing, saying, come on, come on, give it away, you haven't got a chance. Mm. Meaning, come on, come yeah. on. He called him boy, come on, boy, you haven't got a chance. Bang, 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 and the shots came from the tower. Then George fell into the crowd at the tram barrier, which is still there. The tram barrier is exactly where it was 50 years ago in Champ Street, Coburg. It's bizarre. It's as if 50 years haven't Haven't gone by. It's it's, it's now.
0: Yeah, and um, certainly... This, this really sets off a whole trail or, you know, a whole series of other actions and events that occur. So mm. this happens and uh, the prison guard dies and then, um, you know, all of Melbourne is basically hunting for That's right. <laughs> Peter Walker and Ronald Ryan and they do a pretty good job of avoiding but the, but the police. Other, the other
1: comic elements is that Walker wanted to go to Preston he wanted to go to Preston, you know. He had a girlfriend in Preston. So they're sort of quarrelling in the stolen car and Ryan says, I've never liked Preston. I don't <laughs> like Preston, you know. What's Preston got apart from Murray Road, you know. Then they did a Uey and went towards the flour mill at Kensington and in that street where the fl- still there, the big flour mill, there was a harbour. It was called harbouring when you put people up. Yeah. And they stayed there that night with every police car in the country after them.
0: Yeah, and as you say, a lot of people thought that um, that Ronald Ryan was stealing their tomatoes. That's or right. Well, my dad, <laughs> my his dad,
1: my late beautiful father thought that Ryan was knocking off his tomatoes in the backyard, and yeah. there was a tomato steak missing one night. Remember, <laughs> and dad thought that Ryan had got over the back fence to pinch his pomodors.
0: And it it did capture a lot of people's imagination and their fury as well. That's right. Um, And, you know, people did jump to the um, assumption that Ronald Ryan was guilty. He hadn't yet been captured yet. Uh, But certainly there was a bit of um, a feeling amongst the general population and certainly even um, many politicians who thought that Ronald Ryan was responsible. Um, So... We go. They go to Sydney. Yeah. Um, so they've, you know, swapping number plate, you know, letter plates <laughs> on their cars and um, avoiding capture. And then finally, they're captured. How does that happen?
1: Just be, just before we go to that, yeah. the number plates is worth a laugh because mm. you, in those days, you, someone would come into a pub like the Albion or Stewart's Hotel, which is still there in Elgin Street, and say on a hot day with all the drunks flopped out on the stools. Someone had come in with a sugar bag full of bodgy plates and just dropped them on the bar, you know, yeah. 40 bucks for them. <laughs> and they're all bodgy, they're various number plates. So Ryan got got a bag of plates and every car they pinched, they put different numbers on. Then they got to Wodonga. Now, Wodonga, the police pulled them over at Wodonga in a, in a Lincoln, great big posh car that Ryan had bought off Kevin Dennis. Kevin Dennis used to be television personality. And he had a, a second-hand car yard in Regent next to Reservoir. And, they, and he, how Kevin Dennis didn't know yeah. that they were rhino. he didn't. and He sold them <laughs> a Lincoln and then Walker disguised himself with um, peroxide. And, practiced and he had black hair, didn't he? And, pr- pr- and, and imitated Michael Caine. <laughs> I mean, if this was wow, an opera, I don't know yeah, what is. Yeah,
0: Because
1: we're at Wodonga and I've interviewed the two police that ch- talked to them at Wodonga. Yeah. That's where the fruit fly inspection used to be. Mm. You mean, trying to pinch bananas. He's trying to, you know, talk like Michael now and, uh, and all. And uh, <laughs> of course he isn't. And the guy says, what's your name, mate? He says, "Sugar." Oh, um, Michael Caine's brother, Sugar Caine. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he isn't.
0: Oh gosh, it,
1: it's just hilarious. Yeah,
0: it is quite hilarious. Uh, and that isn't. Yeah, so. and very yeah Some sad. Mm. Yeah, and and so they. They're in Sydney and they're, you know, drinking beer at pubs and um, womanising a little bit. And actually I should mention before that, before they left Victoria, um, Peter Walker was, uh, he shot a a tow truck driver who actually figured out who they were.
1: That was at a party in Henry Street, Windsor. And a a friend of mine, Sonny Naidu, was at that party Sunny Naidoo was a producer for Paul Cox and he ended up at that party, of all flukes, that hot night and they're all dancing The Twist at Henry Street and a party and uh, Ryan and Walker turned up and later on they'd run out of drink and the tow truck driver offered to take Peter Walker to a sly. A sly grog was called a sly mm-hmm. in Albert Street, Albert Park and got there and they got a few boxes of drink and then the tow truck driver said, oh, ''Let's put him in, your mate.'' share the $10,000 reward, and in the end he was shot in in the public toilet, uh, sitting on the toilet, and in the morning the tow truck driver, Arthur Henderson, was found floating in the foreshore wavelets, and then he got back to the party and said to Ryan, you've done one, I've done one. Mm. Meaning you've killed someone, I've killed someone. Fancy saying that in front of people. This is the bravado, and and the terror that was going through them.
0: Yeah, and and it becomes an interesting point of contrast when we get to the to the trial and who, yeah. um, you know, is put up for murder and who's put up for manslaughter. So Peter Walker...
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, they're both charged with murder. Yeah. And Walker was charged with the murder of Arthur Henderson, mm. tow truck driver, and, and Ryan for George Hudson. And uh, Ryan was first, the trial uh, was first, and he's found guilty... sentenced to be hanged and in that moment in those days you had a slate where you could write remarks on a wooden slate and walker got the giggles when ryan was sentenced to hang he thought that was funny and wrote and did a cartoon of a skeleton being hanged and he wrote underneath it you Mm. you as if like a schoolboy. boy yeah yeah but i can understand that too it's they're defiant i mean what have you got to lose
0: Yeah, and a lot of, interestingly, part of the context of this is that people who were sentenced to hang, and that was the um, requirement, really, if you were found guilty of murder was death by hanging, Mm. Um, that a lot of those times the sentences were commuted and, you know, you would just do a very long prison sentence. Yeah,
1: but because the election was coming up in April, when Ronald was hanged on the 3rd of Feb, 67, the election was the 7th of April, those in the Cabinet could see that Ryan would guarantee an election victory if they pursued a law and order ticket. In other words, be more hardline than than ever before. The Conservatives in Victoria adored that and voted Bolte in. He romped it in.
0: And a Um, lot of people thought that Bolte was soft on crime because these two prisoners had managed to escape such a seriously... Mm. um, Well, difficult to escape from prison. It was like you had to be pretty um, clever and athletic to even escape, let alone continue on the run for such a long period of time.
1: If you ever look at the the, uh, police homicide file photos of the escape, it it is, we keep using the word hilarious, but it is, because what they've used to escape with are things like dressing gown cords, underpants paper, cardboard, wire, anything to get a length of something, you can get yourself up those. It's a 70-foot ascent to the Mm. top of the Bluestone. But I think, you know, looking at the Malmesbury riots of of last week or the week before and then hearing what our Premier was saying about those youths, he was threatening them with hard line and he said, um, Daniel Andrews said, if you want to play hard line with me, I'll give you hard line. I'll send you to adult prison. And then I thought, you really don't get it. You don't understand why they are setting fire to those lockdown cells. 17 hours when you're 15, bored and you know, no air conditioning.
0: Yeah, and no wonder
1: you lose your way when there's no one to not love you but no one to care for you. And mm. uh, I think the government are to look after us, not to... Executors.
0: Well, and that brings us to this real issue, which is what captured people's um, concern and rage when this all was happening. Um, You know, after the trial, there were protests because people did not want Ronald Ryan and a great deal, but there were some people who did want him to hang for this Mm. um, crime. But also there were lots of people who thought, no, uh, capital punishment is not okay. It's really an eye for an eye is not ethical. It's not right. And the state should not be sanctioning. Murder. So, how? What was it like at that time in Australia and in Victoria, and in particular Melbourne, and and outside of Pentridge um, Jail?
1: The media were howling for, for the hanging. The three AW, the conservative radio stations were demanding it. Um, the family, uh, in extremists. Um, my line is, is to show the trauma of the loved ones when a hanging happens. Uh, whether you're, you believe in Catholicism or not, you were hanged by the neck. Um, the reporters hear your neck breaking. Uh, and there were thousands of people who protested at Coburg. But they're a drop in the ocean compared to the millions who voted the nationals in. Mm. So they knew they would win the vote and that's what they wanted on Ryan.
0: And in terms of his last days and the kind of message that um, you per- purvey in the book, it's really that um, this man is eventually resigned to his fate, but really only on the last day does he realise this isn't going to be stopped um, and that his loved ones, you know, he has these really strained relationships in the end, certainly with his um, ex-wife because she divorces yeah, him. yeah.
1: I mean, if that's not an operatic moment, to receive your divorce papers whilst you're in the condemned cell, to me that's like something out of Tosca. Mm. It is opera. It is the essence of opera, tragic opera, to be divorced when you're hoping for a reprieve to come through. So instead of the reprieve, which would be a telegram saying, it's cancelled, we're committing you to life, she left him. And then in, in another operatic moment, not to cheapen it but to heighten it, uh, the the man that Dorothy married died just before Ryan. Mm. I mean, uh, that just seems... Uh, it's hard to believe the chain of events.
0: Yeah, and it's understandable that even now it's really difficult for those involved to talk about it or those who still survive.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, part of the beauty of this book um, is just... The way that you describe the people in it and the surrounds, and mm. some of the quotes I picked up just to give people um, a feel for it, uh, was that you say Ronald was a man who spoke like a crow.
1: <laughs> That's that country voice, you know.
0: Yeah, and and it really it resonates because you can feel you, yeah. you can feel who he is as a person and yeah. see him and his um, his movements and. The way that he interacts with others and he's this character, and you bring back all of these colloquialisms that are you know all but lost really we don't That's use right. them in everyday discussion yeah. in life, but in this book it really does bring them back into their glory
1: uh, It's like confront it's better to say front than confront and um, Paul Keating used to love that colloquialism front yeah. you know to front the media to front to confront doesn't sound as powerful no. And uh, I, instead of I went into him, I into him, I into him. Everything's abbreviated for maximum impact. And uh, Jail used to be called stir. It uh, was called inside. I've been inside. There's a hundred colloquialisms for jail. There was a word called burgoo, which meant burnt porridge, because <laughs> all the porridge was burnt. Yeah. So it was burgoo. And my dad, Len, used to have burgoo in the army in New
0: Guinea. Right.
1: John fighting the Japanese. Because burgoo was a great word. Burger. It is a
0: great word. You,
1: you can see burnt porridge when you...
0: Oh, yeah, when you say it too And then it's there's goo. the
1: officer, Ken Leonard, who I met, who gave Ronald bacon and eggs and some black pudding and some orange juice before. He was measured He was measured and weighed before and three pairs of underpants put on him because when you're hanged, you lose all your blood. And uh, he, Ronald smelt the bacon and he said, it'll be wasted on me, I think. Uh, let's face it, I'm... For the lime pit, mm. and that's the exact quote. So I'm lucky to have met the people who were in the in the original opera, not the not the musical <laughs> score, but yeah. in real life opera.
0: Yeah, and it is really all the more richer for your true insights into what oh, happened from the thanks. people. Thanks.
1: It's nice to hear that because I I was writing it with old blood. It was old blood that I used to write it, mm. and then one day I rang Sandy Grant at Hardy Grant fearing the worst that he wouldn't like it. Yeah. And uh, he said, we're running it. Yeah. And then I nearly fainted on the floor because I'd had a lot of literary rejection, mm. a lot of trouble in my life. And then when he said, we're running it, it wasn't a laudatory thing like yeah. I liked the writing. Or He said, we're running it. And I just felt great. I felt vindicant. I went down to Frankston and Swam all day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what took, a beautiful celebration. Took the
1: day. Dive, off the pier. Yeah. I stood on the sign that says no diving. Typical
0: <laughs> 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 <in>. Ronald Ryan. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm sure he would have got on. <laughs> yeah, you would have. <laughs> well, I really hope that people do pick up this book. It's called Last Words by Barry Dickens. And Barry's been joining me and we've been discussing his book. And, you know, if this doesn't win um, an award or many awards, I will personally complain <laughs> <laughs> and protest in the streets because it really is truly some of the best Australian writing you'll ever see. So oh, well thank you, Barry.
1: You'll have me crying in a minute.
0: Oh, well, let's <laughs> cry together because right. I really was quite moved. So,
1: Well, that's terribly nice of you. To, you don't often hear that when you're being interviewed, so I'm grateful for those words.
0: No, I truly mean it. So yeah, thanks. thank you for sharing your talent with us. Thanks very much. And you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. I'm Amy Mullins, the host of this show on 3RRR. You can listen in every Tuesday in Melbourne at 9am till 12pm. And if you are elsewhere, you can listen online through the Triple R website. Hope to see you again next time.